This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the post-Super Bowl episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by my co-host Nick Stevens. We're going to have a special four-hour podcast for you today because we have to cover everything that's happened in the last 72 hours. Not really. Remember when we thought we'd fly home, do a nice, tidy little wrap-up episode, and then say, see you in a couple of weeks after we all go uh, train at TB12 and get get a Guerrero massage and just, you know, catch up? That was called uh, Sunday right before kickoff is what that was called. Do you feel like a spent shell of humanity like I do? I always do at the end of the Super Bowl because it's a it's a you know it's a long week. I know everyone thinks it, it must be the time of our life. Cue the uh, Sergio Jep, <laughs> but it's. I'll pause and let. And here he is having the time of his life. I think that's what the entire world thought when they saw. Hey, Nick Stevens, you play Fitzy. You're the world's biggest Patriots fan. You're going to go work for the Pats out there on this brand new revolutionary pop up network. This is going to be amazing. Guess what? It was. I also feel 90 on the inside. <laughs> exactly. It's a long week. It's a grueling week. It and really it, is. It comes at the end of a very long, intense season. And so you do, you kind of get to the finish line, and then you you exhale and collapse a little bit. But the NFL does not allow for that because um, I feel like if we're lucky today, we'll get to the actual ramifications and what happened in the Super Bowl once right. we get past Josh McDaniels. Are we going to talk Malcolm about the Butler. game or just, I mean. I, the game, that happened like forever ago. Let me just say also to that point of the exhaustion that I'm sure just fans of, let alone both Super Bowl teams, all football fans and, and America in general is feeling right now. Now, as fan who went and had a chance to work for the network and who ha- had a chance to partake in all of the merriment that the Patriots staged in, in Minneapolis and great hosts, by the way. Freezing cold temp, waking up to negative six degree temperatures. Yeah, not such a huge fan, but Twin Cities in terms great of place. food, kindness, guides, volunteering, e- dynamite. Relatively job. easy to get around. It really yeah. is. Um, and the tra- when they said the traffic was at its worst, it was. I've been in far worse Super Bowl crowds. Oh, I mean, traffic wise, gridlock wise. Yeah, it was just a shame that the weather sort of uh, inhibited people from being able to engage in a lot of the pedestrian fare that they want to foster at the Super it Bowl. It inhibited polar bears from being able to engage. Oh, I, it I, was it was brutal. It was but, it was. But uh, now I can understand, and ho- hopefully some people listening get an idea here. We're such rabid fans that when we get a chance to, you know, peek behind the curtain and work there, now I get why a lot of football writers uh, are just people that cover the NFL are a little dispassionate about it at times. Because when you invest your whole self in, in the experience and put your and throw yourself into the work, and then you're a huge fan like I am, the risk reward factor is monumental. Oof, you want yeah. to talk about tri- not just doubling down, tripling down. Uh, yeah, and that's you know. Look, Wild. once upon a time before I started covering the NFL, I was 
an NFL fan. I was a, I grew up a Dolphins fan and then a Bucks fan in Florida. I lived and died. When I went on the Bucks beat in 1990, that's when it you know it, it ends. And people have talked to me the last parts of the last three decades and said, you know, how can you, you know, not still be a fan? Well, anything you do for work on some level becomes work, right? Yep. It's going to work, even if it's a great, fun-filled work. And then on top of that, you're you just have to have some distance because you're supposed to be trying to see things as objectively. All right, later on the show, we're going to have a great guest because I think it's very timely. Uh, I give Nick the credit and the uh, assist on this one. He said, do you know any Indianapolis writers? And I happen to know Bob Kravitz, who is now sports editor of a uh, Indianapolis TV station, WTHR, but was the longtime Indianapolis Star columnist. I'm sure that name is quite familiar to Patriots fans everywhere. Uh, there are two Indianapolis writer sports editorial names that are very familiar to Patriots Nation, Greg Doyle and, of course, Doyle. Greg Doyle. Doyle, Doyle. Doyle. Um, it's, I, it sorry. looks like Doyle, but it's Doyle. Don, I suffered a great loss Sunday. <laughs> have you no, how about have some, no shame? And Bob, right, the mirrors are still painted black in my house. People are deliver, delivering trays of bagels and food to us. Uh, and, of course, yeah, and Bob Kravitz. Right. Bob was the writer who first reported on the inflation issues of some footballs in the AFC title game back in January of 2015. It's like there's this little cadre of Whatever people. What happened to that story, by the way? Did it go uh, anywhere? Is Mort's tweet still up? It go anywhere. <laughs> um, there's no delay of game. We didn't let the team go because we were stretching our balls. <laughs> uh-huh. And now, I, I just want to make this point. Once upon a time, not long ago, Bob Kravitz was probably public enemy number one from Indianapolis in the eyes of Patriots fans. Bob, mm-hmm. you're off the hook. Congratulations. Josh McDaniels. We have a new number one. Well, we've kind of flipped the script now. No more calls. We have Josh McDaniels in that slot uh, forever and ever into an eternity. And let's just go ahead and put this out there right now. And we can dispel it, not even just from what you know and what we've read and heard in the, the last 12 to 18 hours. Let's just dispel this right now. This was no Godfather-esque move no. by McDaniels where he's like, where I mean, Patriots fans want to think this is some sort no. of revenge, like, and this one's for Tommy. No, this was not having anything to do. The, these teams have made two trades, remember? Mm-hmm. Two trades lately. They have restored well, diplomatic since, relations. Since Grigson moved on. I think ever right. since Chris Ballard took over and he's become the front man, smoothed out relations, they're, I, I believe, a much more highly functioning football right. team. Both embassies are back open yeah. in Patriot land and Colts land. So well, this is not about Deflategate. As much as that would be a juicy, revenge-dripping plot uh, twist in this story. It's not about the flakegate. This is about Josh McDaniels deciding to stay in New England because he liked the situation better than the one he was climbing into. It's well, hold on. We're just over forty-eight hours removed from one of the wildest Super Bowls on memory. When was that? And played? we haven't even discussed. I remember sec- that. Do, I mean, should we I remember even? that game? Has everyone seen it? What else? What are we going to add? It was it in all the one? papers, wasn't it? That uh. Super Bowl. Yeah. I actually we'll would get like to, to it, thank Malcolm Butler and Josh McDaniels, or just the Patriots in general for distraction creating so many distractionary news cycles. How about that? That I'm still not thinking about the fact that I was shocked by Brandon Graham strip sack, team, or that I was team non-distraction created two st- huge distractions. Oh, floored by. Did you ever think, Don? What? Okay, 
Let's go back to the game for a sec. What if I told you, I'll put on my 30 for 30 voice. What if I told you that in Super Bowl 52, there would be two-thirds of a mile of offense and Tom Brady would throw for 505 yards? What would you do? Because I would have bet both kids the house, the Cape house, both cars, and maybe whatever was in, in the stock market on the Pats and the over. And that Jim Schwartz would be out of a job the next day. And I would have two Southie parking lawn chairs on the parade route. It was a remarkable Super Bowl. And, and you know what? I have, I have tried to enjoy it. I watched the replay of the game Monday night when I got home from Indiana, or Minneapolis. Um, I've got Indianapolis on my brain. And I watched the Showtime Inside the NFL, which was excellent last it, night. Even a fan of the losing team, it was excellent. I know it has to hurt. You know, when but the it, Philly heavy team. call is great. <laughs> the Philly call was great. That Foles walks over and says, Philly, Philly, and uh, you know that that's a takeoff on Dilly Dilly, right. and he said, and Doug Peterson immediately said, oh, he pauses and says, "Go for it, let's yeah, do it, let's, let's do, do it. it." They coached. Not only did they do an awesome job coaching, and is it oh so ironic that Philadelphia scores their their most important touchdown in Super Bowl Fifty Two using a play the Patriots used against the Eagles two years prior? Yeah, that is cruel irony party of one your touchdown is ready it's re it was really oh. I mean, it was just the perfect call at the perfect moment i believe it was the boldest call in super bowl history okay nick Foles. wow great yep. job you deserve to not just sit behind wentz i hope you get a starting job again now it's more that your your freak seasons in your travels the the lead in your breakfast cereal that was being coached by jeff fisher is more true and i think he's more the 27 and 2 guy because Though he had some growing pains at the end of the year, kid lit it up. Yep. No, he, some of the balls he threw before New England decided, I don't know, let's put our best cornerback, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, on their best receiver. Revolutionary game plan. Once they finally locked off Alshon Jeffrey with Stefan Gilmore, Foles was dropping dimes. Yeah, he put balls into small, small windows all night long. He's got a and big arm, bigger arm than I remember, he too. He really does, yeah. And, you know, what I also thought, he played... He really did play like he had been there before when he hadn't. He did not look like the first-timer, even in the beginning, at the beginning of the game when I thought nerves could be a factor. Uh, he didn't show it. And you know what? The Eagles, who I picked to win, I might mm -hmm. add, I wasn't confident about it, but I felt like they had a certain uh, mojo going. And you wonder why I couldn't meet you for that drink in Minneapolis. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um uh, you know, I didn't trumpet that pick uh, around Minneapolis, but I I feel like they played the game that New England should have played and 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 wish they could have played. One team played like they had something to lose. The other one played like they had nothing to lose. Doug Peterson, for the guff he took and for the disbelief and doubt that some people had in his coaching abilities, stepped out from under the clock mismanagement shadow. Yeah, it's a slightly large shadow. From Andy Reid and proved he's his own man and his own coach. Yeah, he really talk he, about the coach Philadelphia needs. They just they went for it and they weren't bad calls. It's hard to decide who was the bigger winner reputationally coming out of this game, Foles or Peterson, but both of them were huge, absolutely yeah. huge. And Frank Reich, uh, the offensive coordinator, I think. And um, so anyway, but let's now turn. Can we turn back to the story of the moment? Well, I just wanted to ask you, I thought this was just like, let's take a quick look into the mirror. You say, like, that coach-quarterback combination both emerged from that game smelling like roses and looking great. 
can we flip over to yeah. the other coach quarterback combination? Because I'd like to get removing my fandom from it. I would like to get you, Don Banks, football savants take on how you think Brady and Belichick look emerging from SB52. It's hard for me to say that Brady was anything but spectacular. 505 yards passing, um, three touchdowns. He did get hit nine times, which is a lot. Yeah, he he got hit some, but I thought he actually, you know, he hung in there and took the hits and delivered. I mean, there was a point where he was like at 52% completion. I don't know what it was. It was like in the first half where he was looking a little shaky. But in the second half, he was he was Tommy Money, and you know he's he's you know I can't blame him for the hit that Brandon Graham laid on him. It was just a really incredibly well timed strip sack. It was it, quick too. It bounced right. Um, I I can't really assign any fault to the game that Brady played because he kept him alive to the very last hail mary. Um. But I don't think the Patriots coaching staff in in totality had a good day. Um, certainly Matt Patricia's not his finest uh, send-off farewell job, um, last bit of you know job resume for the Lions. And I felt like of the two head coaches, Peterson had by far the better day. I oh, really do. By I, far. It kills me to say that, but yeah. I, I think it's indisputable. And it, you know, and part of that is the Malcolm Butler decision. Um one team, one team in NFL history, not just playoff history, Don, one team in NFL history has won a game where they yielded over 600 yards of offense, and right. that would be the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia right. Eagles. If nothing else makes you SMH back home or drops your jaw, it's got to be that. And no Super Bowl team had ever scored 33 and lost. And no two teams had ever combined for 1,151 Total yards, two thirds of a mile in a football game. That's that's why any I, football game in the NFL. That's why I want any Pats fan that's listening, and I, and I, there's been great sentiment for it out there for him out there, but not like after you've been watching Tom versus Time and you've been consuming all everything Brady and wearing the jersey and the pajamas. The I'm in emotional recovery pajamas right now. Thank you. He is. He, I can he, see him. He. I mean, you want to talk about after the whole Garoppolo Fandango this year and. Does Tom still have it? And every guy from Nick Wright to Rob Parker to Max Kellerman calling for the cliff. Boy, that is one gorgeous cliff in Malibu with a beautiful four-bedroom house and a killer view. <laughs> 505. Look at the the way he played when he just decided to, when they just put it on his shoulders in the second half was at age oldest quarterback to start a Super Bowl and now most yards and probably one of the finest performances. It was epic. I mean, I'll say this, from an entertainment standpoint, it was the greatest Super Bowl of all time. I don't know if I would call it the greatest, although it's it's in the discussion. But for pure entertainment, if you love offensive football, if you want the NFL to be arena football, that was the Super Bowl for you. If you love defense and you want it to have some balance, um, hide your eyes because that was as bad a tackling as I've seen. And I'm not just talking about Johnson Batamosi. Uh, against uh, against uh, I think it was Torrey uh, Smith. On no, that it was out. Al, Al, uh, was that third and four play? Alcohol Al, against uh, Nelson Aguilar. Which, Aguilar, the man in the NFL who has a name that sounds like a medieval kingdom. I, I know I can't say it, but and, anyway, it was bad, bad defense. So, but man, for entertainment value, right. there wasn't a lull in that game. There wasn't a second when you thought, "Eh, this is starting to drag." It was breathless. One punt. 
I don't even remember. I know it was in the first half. I know the Eagles went three and out once, but and they kept going for it on fourth down. Yeah, yeah. And Bra- I brass and footballs. I, and I've said this, you know, as, as great a call as the trick play was, the Philly special, the fourth and one that they went for with five thirty nine to go on their own side of the field. That was the play of the game. Yes, Sorry. it was. That was the play of the game, and they got it by about what a foot and a half, half a yard. Yeah, yeah. So, foot and a foot, half. which is a foot and a half, and there was a lot of controversy as to whether or not that was a pick play, because someone has clearly run into McCourty right there, and he's not able to recover in time right. to be able to get to Ertz. And yes, I full well understand the Patriots have been using rub roots and pick plays right. for a long time as well, to a point now where I think they either just need to allow them and just let it go, or just call them all so we stop seeing them. I think the NFL is going to have a fascinating offseason, Don, deciding on a exactly, lot of plays. Exactly, yeah. Because last, uh, on the Philly special, I don't know if you follow Matt Chatham, the former yes, pass I linebacker. Did. I know. He said it was illegal formation because the receiver wasn't on the line of scrimmage. He's right. He, he is right. I will say. They missed it. There are technicalities that are missed all the time, and it's, it is it is mind-numbing to be a fan and then see something like that. But if they called everything letter of the law, there literally would be a flag on every play. And then, of course, on the Hail Mary, I don't know if you saw, but Chris Hogan got, got smoked. Cleated. Yes, he got, got decleated. He absolutely. Yeah, How do you, you not call that? Call that? Right. He's a receiver. I know. The other that, stuff The other stuff I get, like, you, there's gray area, right? There's, there's six inches or eight inches or a foot gray area as if a guy's on the line. Or you can set a pick. You can intentionally or unintentionally within a yard of the line of scrimmage in right. the wash, and you're, and you're all right. I'm not defending that. <laughs> it wasn't but, a kickoff. But listen, it was a hail mary. But you listen, can't just declete a guy twenty yards. There the are field. stuff that goes on on hail marys. Oh, there are, in, I, yeah. and I'm just saying this is not it. It's not surprising, I guess, that stuff gets missed in the last frantic seconds of that of of that game have, and on that play. That. But their eyes are the reason why is because their eyes right. are all are all vertical to the end of the field. No one's watching the middle there and this kid just loses his mind and just body checks Hogan at the yeah. 30. Yep. And again, back to what I said a minute ago on I think the NFL is going to have one of their most if not the most interesting offseason. They've got to decide a what's a catch. Period. Right. They had to clean that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Clean up aisle catch, please. We also need to decide if you should be allowed to review a penalty because if if Ernie Adams whistles down to Bill like uh, uh, Hogan was declared at the thirty, throw your flag right while the confetti falls. Uh, at least that would have moved Brady five or ten yards closer. What would that would what would that, that have been? been illegal, illegal contact? contact. Legal contact. Yes. That's five. I think so. Okay, but it, it still is. would have been one more hail mary. Talk about I'm a little bit closer. It would have. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, I just think you, are, it was so blatant. You have to, like you have to call it. It, right. it almost felt like all the stuff that even a Patriots fan knew, karma wise, had gone for them all season. Right. Every kind of call they could imagine. Earth surviving the ground. Jesse, it's it's almost identical. A, a twisting body from a tight end football move. See, that's where I separate from him. Uh, Into the uh, other, end zone. Th- other than, other than I, I, I moved away on this myself. One guy was on his knees, and the other guy took two or three. He took two or three two steps, steps, like leapt over, and McCord he clearly and the ball. Out. Upon further review, he clearly was a runner, and that's where his break the plane. The, the other one, I disagree Clement, with I agree. completely. The other well, one, the Corey, I don't think should the not. Corey I mean, the other one, one was, in the regular season, right. 99% of the time, is not a touchdown. And that's, Calvin Benjamin's that's, was more of a touchdown. That's true. And that is what I, as I wrote, it, that's the whiplash effect that drives people crazy. However, 
I'm glad somebody in the league office got to Alberto Riveron and said, after Jesse James, knock it off. Start calling it like clear and obvious. If there's a clear and obvious mistake, stop doing the Zapruder film frame by frame. With the creepy voiceover. (laughs) Right. We're not going to do that. This is Alberto Riveron. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad they called it like the touchdown used to be called. However, to do it in the postseason after not doing it in the regular season, how could any fan, how could any Chris Collinsworth analyst, how could anybody who watches the game know what to expect or what what to catch? I I was on the field during the game. The play happened, like, right in front of me. And I I immediately started texting people at home saying, what are Collinsworth and and Michael saying? And they're saying, hey – by the letter of the law, from what we've seen right. all year, that's not a catch. Scott Ertz Hansen, or Clement? What? The Ertz Clement. one or Clement? Clement. No, the Clement. Clement, one. okay. The, Thank you. Scott Hansen, the in-stadium host and the right. red zone host, five feet from me, I went up to him. I go, what, what did you think of that? You've got your monitor right in front of you with every look, and you've got all your producers yelling in your ear and everything. They go, that's not a touchdown. But yet, Sterator on the Showtime, they, they had him. The ball moved. The ball moving. But it's not loss of control. Agree. And but, that's the way it should but, be called. But I it know, hasn't been called but that all way. Year, yes, all precedent. year. All year, any movement of the ball know. has been deemed loss of control. It's almost like if you saw, uh, to take it to some you know hyperbole, you saw a crime being committed continually, but... They said, oh, that's not a crime. But then finally they recognized it was a crime. They fixed it. Would you want one more crime to be committed because they had let the other crimes be committed? No. That 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 strains logic. However, I do believe they got the call right the way they should have been calling the rule all year. They simply had no consistency. And it looked as if we're not letting the Super Bowl get decided by a, a borderline touchdown re- reversal. No way, no how. We're not signing up for that that storm to come. No, I I agree, I agree 100% with what you're saying. It's just it drives me nuts too like take it take it out of context with with football. In basketball, the last possession of a tie game, a guy's driving to the hoop, you're not going to see a foul called. He could get slapped in the face and you're just not going to see it. Dwayne Wade can lead I, with his knee like I he know, always does. I just does. don't and I don't think that's right. I think right. you you develop a baseline for how you officiate and you you want it to be it's not always going to be consistent because nobody's perfect, right? But you want it to be consistent through the year. And I don't think there's any way a logical person can look at that Clement, the ball moving in his arm, and with all the reversals we've just seen in Patriots games, never yep. mind all the uh, the rest of the league. I know. And it's, that's, it's, not, that's not what was called all year long. It's inconsistent. And Chris Collinsworth. And to have it rob you in that moment when it's been called the, a different way the whole year, like that's not, that's not fair right. to me. So and also, great, great, but real quick, great call by Philadelphia because it's third and six and nobody's yep. looking for them to go end zone and isolate Clement on a corner and a safety. And Foles zipped it in between Unbelievable the two Unbelievable throw. Let's just, I want to make sure that any Philadelphia fan that might yeah, be listening no, going like, it was Prime your river. It was an river. unbelievable throw. Great throw. And I believe in, in the... <laughs> In the uh, the history of the game, that would have been a rule to touchdown, other than this season when it right. got crazy. All right, let's we're gonna um, we're gonna have Bob Kravitz in just a minute, but I want to take a minute to at least obviously set up the story. Last night around dinner, uh, the news breaks a little later than that, maybe the news did your phone breaks. go crazy like mine. Did? Yes, um, and I said a holy shnikes as soon as I saw it. Um, Josh McDaniels, who had been announced earlier in the day as the Colts' new head coach with press conference to come Wednesday afternoon, um, decides to stay home. 
And yeah, that I actually believe I might have prompted that because my first Nick is showing me a, a cocktail napkin with I resign as HC of the IC, Josh. I tweeted very early on. I hope he wrote, uh, I resign as HC of the IC. Uh, I know I said, I hope JM uh, resigns as a HC of the IC uh, on a cocktail napkin. And somebody sent me that. Um, it shortly went like thereafter. wildfire on Twitter and Instagram last night. But I will say this. Um, there's There were so many questions that instantly surrounded this. You know, has he been promised to succeed Bill Belichick, which I firmly believe is is a negatory. I don't think he got any assurances. I believe he's obviously in the pole position. Um, another another bit of hyperbole that was instantly out there, he'll never get a head coaching job outside of New England. Stop it. It's a long way to forever. He has Scott Pioli out there who could be a GM. He has Nick Casario out there who could be a GM someday. There's a lot of people that would hire Josh McDaniels, this, like anything else, needs a little time. I don't think he's getting a job outside of New England in the next two years um, because this was a very controversial, leave them in a lurch type of move. But forever is a long time, so stop all that type of thinking. And then secondly, everybody was, it goes from Andrew Luck's shoulder must be bad or his family didn't want to move. I think this just came down to, he really is comfortable in New England. He got a better situation here for himself. He got some sort of idea, perhaps, um, that he has a really good shot to be the heir apparent. Not that I'm not not that I'm convinced that's not the toughest job in NFL history in terms of a coaching vacancy. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think this went as deep as a lot of people tried to immediately make it go. I thought from minute one from kickstart that they were such odd bedfellows now they have as you reminded us before there have been transactions in the last couple of years and in fact two deals between the colts and the patriots so they've they've opened relations the the embassies are open etc but i thought they were just the odd it was the oddest fit because while i do think mcdaniels can make a fine head coach one day i didn't necessarily see how that would have been the perfect fit unless they thought, okay, and this must have been why they were willing to throw, as Peter Schrager was reporting, top five head coach dollars at McDaniels. He was going to do, for luck, what he did with Brady because from 2012 to 2017, Patriots had the fewest takeaways in the NFL, 29.5 points a game, led the NFL. Uh, this that, that was offensive wizardry that they were performing, but of course it helps when you've got the best quarterback ever at your disposal. You know, it, I I had the same concerns. I kept thinking, and I wrote this a couple times, I didn't see where McDaniels and Ursay, Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, was a great fit. I didn't see, I mean, if you're coming from the craft stability to Ursay, now I know Ursay is loyal and I know he throws money and wants to win, but he's also got an unpredictability, a volatility factor, and the head coach has to be aware of that. Secondly, I, I didn't see that given Luck's recent injury history where he was just this given as a franchise quarterback. Nobody knows yet whether he's going to be the old Andrew Luck or better. Um, you can't say that definitively when a player at that position takes an entire year off after a, a surgery of that nature. So I thought it was more likely that he'd be interested in the Giants, even the Lions, 
And obviously when the Titans opened up late in the game. But uh, the Colts was the early leader, and they thought they had him. This is a huge story with a lot of ramifications, not to mention for the coaches that he had seemingly already taken to Indianapolis with him. The curiosity in New England as to who would be the next head coach, who would be the next offensive coordinator. Was it going to be Chad O'Shea? He was taking Joe Judge. He was taking uh, Shaplinsky uh, with him as well. It was an offensive quarterback assistant coach who I guess people around here in Foxborough regarded highly as a great offensive mind. Now those guys are staying, even though they thought they were – I mean, they, they're canceling their rider trucks this morning. And then you had all the coaches signed up there, too, who I even – I think we all feel badly for the ones – Well, they're the ones that ultimate pawns So, ma- so in this. many wrinkles. I, I just yeah. – I don't – look, bottom line, this is not a good look for Josh McDaniels reputationally. There's no way to really defend – I think he had the right to make this decision – but there's ramifications and there's consequences uh, that are going to be very difficult for him. Not not impossible. But if he stays in New England forever and he wins, uh, this is going to go on his resume just as Belichick leaving the Jets high and dry went on his resume. Um, I covered this story. I, I, I put this out on Twitter last night. In 19, early 92, Bill Parcells took the Bucks head coaching job when I was a beat writer coming out of the Richard Williamson one year one and done they went three and 13 and 91 uh, Parcells and Culverhouse had a deal there was not only a deal there was a press conference on a Sunday morning during the playoffs we were all packed into the press conference room there must have been more than 85 reporters and people in that room we were simply waiting for Parcells to walk in with Hugh Culverhouse, the Bucks owner. I'll never forget it. It was a playoff Sunday, and outside, we're all watching TV in the room, waiting for the press conference to start. Outside, Will McDonough, the late, great Will McDonough, working for NBC that day, is talking to Bob Costas live from Tampa, right outside our door. And Bob Costas says, we now throw it to Will McDonough for some breaking news. And Will McDonough opens his mouth and says, Bob, I just talked to Bill Parcells. He's not coming. And the words he's not coming are in one of those little word air bubbles hanging over. And we all just get up and start running into each other like the Three Stooges in the room trying to get out and figure out what just happened. And find a phone because, of course, you're not plugging into an Ethernet or catching the Wi-Fi. Right. We're trying to find a dial-up. Right. Oh, that's That's insane. So I went through this exact story and – as a as a Bucks beat writer, and is not only that, but Parcells did it to the Bucks again in '02 before Tony mm-hmm. Dungy was fired. So this has happened before. Um, hey, times a flat circle, and it's survivable. Yep. Uh, but it's a really bad look right now. And I think what you said just a minute ago, though, if McDaniel stays here because right. he's got such a symbiotic relationship with Brady and they speak the same language, if he. I don't know, stays on his OC for a long time or eventually becomes the coach. So long as he's behind that wall, so long as he's here, I think he's insulated, and I really don't think at this point that he cares how other GMs, coaches, and beat writers feel about him because he's where he's happy at this point. Well, I agree. I mean, that first and foremost, he's doing what he he wanted to do. I think the fact that the collateral damage of the coaches 
And he's friends with Chris Ballard, from what I understand, the Colts GM. They had a, a friendship, a relationship. That's got to be... Had. <laughs> that's got to be a bit difficult right now. What do you think was said at that dinner that reportedly took place last night at Davio's, which is about 500 yards from where we sit right now here in Foxborough between Kraft and Belichick? I don't know. Interesting things. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear about this. What there were it? pictures that circulated last night on... Uh, on the social medias of uh, Belichick and Kraft having dinner here on site in Foxborough. Were they toasting? They were just sitting at a table. Well, weird I, that that dinner would take place in like public. In public I know city. a lot yeah. of people thought it's it was going to be very Jerry Maguire. Bill's not exactly a, uh, no. a people person. Well, I would say this. You know, you don't say they stopped. They did stop the the flood. Uh, uh, you know, of refugees like leaving. So that's good because. They were having a talent drain here. If McDaniel's leaves, Patricia leaves, other coaches leave, and I think that's a good thing. All right, we want to now get to um, the other side of the story. Um, so Bob Kravitz is going to be our guest, uh, and just a minute here, and I want to hear kind of the fallout from Indianapolis. We're joined now, longtime friend of mine, Bob Kravitz, WTHR sports editor, former. Indianapolis Star columnist Bob, thanks for joining us. We know uh, it's been a busy 12 hours of news and actually three days of news in Indianapolis. First of all, give us a sense, Bob, if you could, I guess, of the shock value in Indianapolis of this piece of news that Josh McDaniels is staying in New England after a five-week courtship. Yeah, I think they were blindsided by the whole thing. I mean, the fact that uh, they had uh, called for a press conference um, uh, call for press conference today at four o'clock. Instead, we're having a press conference with Chris Ballard at eleven um, to talk about you know how they move forward. And certainly, there'd be a million and a half questions about why this happened and whether it could have been avoided. I'm not sure how it could have been, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, uh, to, to say that they're fuming would be an understatement. The the sense is that. This was still going to happen until the Patriots went to work, Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick, on Josh McDaniels yesterday. From your reporting, um, do you believe that the Colts, amid rumors on Sunday from Pro Football Talk and some reporting that, that there were a case of cold feet perhaps forming, were the Colts buying into that? Were they aware that McDaniels may not be as done as they had hoped? Well, you know, that's one of the many questions that's going to get answered, will be answered here in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Um, I did reach out to, to Chris to tell him about these rumors, and he just wrote back, said, you know, basically, hey, rumors are rumors. You know, he neither confirmed nor denied, basically. But, um, you know, I I, I think, I, I don't know if they, if they had any sense that uh, he was uh, getting a case of cold feet. I, I really don't. And yeah, Again, that's one of the questions that will be asked uh, here at 11 o'clock. All right. The, the where we go from here, if you're a Colts lover, <laughs> is interesting. But obviously some of the names, Dave Tobe, the longtime chief special teams coach, Frank Reich, Eagles offensive mm-hmm. coordinator, Jim Schwartz, Eagles defensive coordinator, and um, even perhaps even DeFil- – DeFilippo, uh, the Eagles quarterbacks coach, if you had Correct. to speculate at this point, where do you think you'd put your dollar? Well, uh, I'm thinking Frank Reich, um, just because I think he's the easiest sell to this franchise. Would he be the best fit? Well, I, I don't know. That's something they're going to have to determine 
as they go through this in- interview process. Again, just three weeks shy of the combine. But, um, you know, if you're looking for somebody who um, maybe can take some of the sting out of what's happened, I do believe that Frank Reich would be a guy that, you know, people know. He was here in Indianapolis. Uh, he was part of, you know, a great upset in the Super Bowl. So I think that that would, um, again, take some of the sting out of what's uh, occurred here the last 24 hours. Bob, do you think there's any chance that perhaps some of the medicals on Andrew Luck could have, for, for what we know, and we haven't heard too much in the general public or in football fandom, but could the medicals have had anything to do with this? Uh, we're hearing back here in New England as well, in addition to the full-court press put on by Belichick and Kraft, that there were the, quote, family considerations. And I, I've heard that a million times. I remember years ago when Mike Hampton left the Mets to go to the Rockies, and they said, oh, it was family considerations, better school, and we knew that was all just about money back then. Of course it was. No, this is this is about having the opportunity to uh, succeed Bill Belichick. Um, the money was better here. Uh, obviously, head coaching job over being an OC. Uh, it had nothing to do with Andrew Luck. Uh, look, nothing has changed in the last 48 hours with Andrew Luck that would have made Josh McDaniels change his mind. Luck is out in California working with some throwing coaches, working on his mechanics and his strength, and so I, I don't believe for one second that, you know, if there was concerns about luck, those concerns would have been expressed quite some time ago. Remember, this has been a five- to six-week uh, courtship, and uh, those concerns would have been expressed long, long ago. And, you know, if he wants to say that it's his family, my question would be, what, did you have those four kids in the last week and a half? Right. I mean, you know, those are conversations when a team first comes to you those are the conversations that you have with your family initially. And so it's just very, it's very bizarre. And I, I hope that Josh McDaniels has the cojones to step in front of a microphone sometime in the next day or two and explain himself. Bob, you know, maybe someday we look back on this and Frank Wright is hired and maybe he's the right man for the job. And, you know, the Colts can claim that they got the guy they should have ended up with all along. But it's pretty fair to say that Josh McDaniels is going to be public enemy number one in Indianapolis uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, the coaches that no, he no was, question. the coaches that he was set to bring with him, and that have already signed contracts with the Colts. Yeah. Um, what happens to them? I understand they're going to stay, but that's almost unfair to the new coach, whoever that is. Absolutely, it is. And again, that's one of the things that we'll be asking Chris Ballard here in a little bit. Is uh, I understand they're going to make good on all this stuff and that they're going to keep the, co- the three, I think it's three coaches, uh, who have already begun work here. And those are the guys I feel sorriest for are because not only, it's not only them and their careers, but, you know, they had to uproot their families under the, the impression, with the impression that, um, they were going to be working for Josh. So, um, it's, I, I feel badly for them, but yeah, my understanding is that they are going to, uh, uh, stick with those guys and uh, move forward. But, yeah, if you bring a new coach in and he's not on the same page with these guys, who knows? Maybe they have to buy him out. I'm, I'm not sure what, what direction they go. What's your best guess on when Mount Ursay clears his throat and, and blows his stack and, and lets us know what he's really thinking? You know, I was kind of hoping he'd be here today, and that would have been uh, – there would have been uh, some history – some pyrotechnics, let's put it that way, but uh, – I think uh, for the time being, they're going to let uh, Chris Ballard uh, run the show, be the kind of the voice of the franchise for the time being, and 
Uh, you know, Jim Jim rarely tweets anymore, so I I, I would bet he, he maintains a low profile uh, for the next little while. But eventually, uh, we're going to hear from him. Believe me. I know you agree with me on this point, but to me, this underscores why the league has to fix the rule that yeah. teams cannot hire until after the Super Bowl. And everyone says, oh, wait till after the Super Bowl. That's not realistic either. Sorry, that's not going to happen. The entire league's not right. going to be held up for five weeks uh, while the Super Bowl tournament plays out. But I think this situation is going to spur the league to, to address that rule and find out with some middle ground uh, to avoid a team getting left high and dry like this, as the Colts have. Well, what it, what it does, too, is it destroys the opportunities for other assistant coaches who might be in the same situation that Matt, that Josh McDaniels or uh, Matt Patricia were in. Uh, I, I think that's that's the real issue for them is, you know, who's going to trust another coach to make good on his word um, under the current sets of circumstances? So, uh, yeah, it's a rule that does need to be changed. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Bob Kravitz, sports editor of TV station in Indianapolis, WTHR, and longtime Indianapolis Star columnist. Thanks for joining us today on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens on Patriots.com. Greatly appreciate the insight, Bob. My pleasure, Don. All the best. Well, that's some great insight from Bob, Don. And one thing I know for sure in a sea of uncertainty surrounding the McDaniels move is that the Patriots-Colts rivalry, which is already an intense one, just got better. Back on. It's back on. It's on. Yeah, that's unavoidable. Uh, We just heard a little bit of the Chris Ballard, uh, general manager of the Colts, press conference that's still ongoing um, one thing he, I thought was very interesting, Nick, he, he said, it's on me that we announced it yesterday before we had a signed deal. I was very confident. That was their mistake. That 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 is egg on their face. A deal is never a deal, as everyone in the NFL knows, until the paper has been signed. Now, look, he could have backed out even after that. Um, but the Colts announced it yesterday before McDaniels was out of Foxborough and their putting his John Hancock on any paper, and that's a bad look for them. Not good, Bob. Not good. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, this now helps corroborate some of the, 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 the feelings of uncertainty I think a lot of us had because we had heard from a couple of local sources that we trusted reasonably over the weekend that there was some wavering and uncertainty on McDaniels' and behalf. And Pro Football Talk actually was the first one into that pool. And then now all of a sudden, Tuesday morning, Patriots fans, NFL people wake up and see – NFL tweeting out, rap sheet, uh, Schefter, all your bulletproof sources saying this is a done deal, it's on. Now we hear from who it came, makes more sense, and good for Ballard also for taking that bullet at the press conference and just owning it. couple quick questions for you. If you're the Lions, if you're Bob Quinn, you have any buyer's remorse whatsoever based on a poor Super Bowl performance by the Patriots defense and Matt Patricia? I sure do. Do you really? And I think Matt Patricia is a swell guy and smart as a whip. So he didn't he didn't lose any intelligence on Sunday. He just lost luster, basically. Uh, it's it's really difficult to walk in and say I'm going to take command of this ship and I'm going to show you guys how to run the organization and we're going to be a defense first team when your final season, your calling card, is bookended by 537 yards of offense, 42 points allowed. 538 yards of offense, 41 points allowed. That's pretty not Super Bowl to me. Okay, let me play devil's advocate. Three years ago, Dan Quinn leaves coming off a Super Bowl loss 
Not that it was really his fault because it was more about offensive play calling on the goal line. But Dan Quinn comes off a Seattle defensive coordinator, Super Bowl loss, goes to Atlanta. I'd say that's worked out pretty well for the Falcons. Would you not? Not so much. Wait, you don't think Dan Quinn has been successful in Atlanta in his three seasons as head coach? I think Dan Quinn's success is a matter listen, when you've got that kind of offensive talent, as a matter of fact, I think he's underachieved. Wow. I think Dan Quinn's a fine coach, but I don't think I wouldn't put him in the upper echelon so, of coaches. So an 8-8 eight and, eight and you give a me Super those Bowl two running trip. backs and you give me Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, you should be able to 10 and 6 should you you start you wake up you get out of bed at 10 and 6. Okay, I disagree. Um do you think Kyle Shanahan coming off a Super Bowl loss where he was wildly widely criticized for being overly aggressive with the lead played a huge role in his the play calling did in that 28-3 meltdown by Atlanta, but goes to San Francisco and after a really rough opening start, even though he was earning pretty good reviews despite their losses, finishes on a huge upswing with Garoppolo. They're 6-10. I still think he had a rough last um, job interview with his previous team. Mm -hmm. I'll give you another example. Sean McDermott loses the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, has to wait a year, gets hired, does pretty good work in getting the Bills to the playoffs for the first time in this century. Three recent coordinators coming off a Super Bowl loss, all first-time head coaches, just as Matt Patricia. I would say conventional wisdom in the league is, Atlanta, Buffalo, and San Francisco all made good hires. That's my case for not judging Matt Patricia too harshly off of one game. I think he's going to do fine. I think Patricia will be a fine coach. It's a little bit of an eye-opener. I'm not going to play the guy sitting at the corner bar drinking his breakfast saying, yeah, Patricia blew it and Belichick's lost his fastball as well. They didn't – I got I think it's clear as day they didn't have the horses – Look what they were right. playing with. They were playing with practice squad guys. They're playing to me, with, that doesn't stick to Patricia. They're playing with Buffalo and Cleveland, you know, uh, special teams retreads. Now, back to the other guys, by the way. If anything, I think I admire Kyle Shanahan a little more now, or I respect his game as a head coach and a coordinator more, because you know what he did last year? Coached the game the same no, way I disagree with Peterson you. did. No, I disagree. I, I heard that take yesterday. I think that is a false equivalency. Matt Ryan triple pumped, no. held on to Peterson, the ball. Listen, when Peterson had a lead late, when mm-hmm. he had that five-point lead and they got the ball back, he ran the ball three times, setting up the field goal. He could have said, no, we're not making that mistake. We're going to go Kyle Shanahan. We're going to throw the ball here on third down. He didn't do it. There's a time to be bold. There's a time to be safe and conservative. Peterson knew exactly when both were. You had to go for that fourth and one with 539 to go in your own territory. That That's bold. It's not. You learn you, from past mistakes. That makes for good coaching. Right. I agree with that. But they wasn't, there was, and actually our friend Dan Orlovsky was the one putting it on Twitter, mm-hmm. our podcast guest from last week Great in Minneapolis. Great guest, by the way. Great guest. I really like him. But he made the point that, Peterson is getting saluted for all the things that Shanahan did the same thing last year and got killed for, and I don't agree with that. I think there were some differences there um, in how they approached. They were both aggressive, but one of them was calling pass plays when they clearly 
the clock could have been their friend, mm-hmm. and they and they didn't need to call pass plays. They put themselves obviously in a, a, in danger of losing yardage. I see where you're coming from. I may disagree a little bit, and I will root for Matt Patricia, and I hope he does well because he certainly tried to make the most gourmet dinner he could here at times yeah. with Trader Joe ingredients. And I, I'm glad you said that because my point is, look what he was working with for the most part. Uh, let's like, let's shoot straight here real quick. What, what he's working with, Malcolm Brown is a is a solid defensive lineman. Trey Flowers, good defensive end. He's had, you know, he's had his ups and downs. Adam Butler, undrafted. Dietrich Wise Jr., undrafted. Derek Rivers, who was their third-round defensive end, tore his ACL in the preseason. Your linebackers, I can barely name them. Right. James Harrison has the best pass rush, and you only picked him no up five high weeks tower. ago. No high tower. Your safeties are exhausted because they're playing linebacker safety. They're playing the tank position. I, the one thing I think we all disagree with, and here's a segue, I think, to our last point. In discussion, I could I see what they were thinking, and listen, I, you know, just because I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last week doesn't qualify me to call it plays in the NFL. He really did, actually. I did, and it was fabulous. The breakfast is wonderful, <laughs> comfy beds. But my gosh, that game plan, bringing Jordan Richards in as a starting sort of safety corner linebacker hybrid position uh, uh, uh. when the kid has been burned all season long. Beyond uh, okay. recognition. I don't even know where, but what concert Butler did or didn't go to. I don't know what drug he allegedly did or probably did not ingest. I don't know how he got the flu, and I know he gave up close to 800 yards passing and a half, do- eight touchdowns, nine touchdowns on the season. Up and down season. He's obviously an emotional guy, but you're telling me somebody like Malcolm Butler, who was a one of the most solid tackling corners, like Logan Ryan, like Akib Talib in the NFL, who plays recklessly, emotionally, and intensely, wouldn't have been able to have made one or two of those tackles in the Super Bowl, turn that game, and given the and right now I'd have parade voice and a secondary hangover? Look, I, I'm i with you to the point where I can't say, I jump off where, oh, the Pats would have won the game. You can't predict that. You don't sure. know that. Um, and, and, you know, I love Tom Curran, but Tom Curran wrote a column right after the game saying, everybody knows it, you know it, we know it, blah, blah. No, we don't. However, would he have helped? I don't see how he could have not helped. It would have been unavoidable for him to not help. Would the Foles cause. have thrown for four hundred and ten yards and five touchdowns? So of course he would have helped. Would it have been all the difference? I'm not willing to say that. If that was a football decision only, and I'm not buying that. I didn't buy it then. I'm not buying it forever. But if that was a football decision only, it was the worst football decision. I can remember ever, let alone in a Super Bowl game with that at stake. So 98% of the defensive snaps, more than any other player on that defense all year, and now all of a sudden. The most plausible thing is it was a tipping point. It had been a, an accumulation of a lot of little things that came to a head. Some included uh, a schematic approach that they wanted to take. But to think that they could have a guy who played 98% of the snaps and he played one special team snap in the Super Bowl and the way it went down apparently right before kickoff you can't tell me that is football only so it's it's the mystery I don't expect Bill Belichick to ever explain it in some ways I get why he wouldn't however I do think you know Pat's nation has deserved they deserve to know some sort of sense of what happened there and I don't. I'm not buying just the football only as as the the whole story. We're not. You know, we're never going to get it. 
Well, Fort Knox. Fort- unless Butler comes clean someday and says, "Okay, I, I did do this, this, and this," or the agent says, "You better get it out because you you're a free agent and you need another job, so you better you better meet culpa on some some level." Or some expat Pat's assistant coach someday says, "This is what went down on Super Bowl week in Minneapolis." Oh. That's. Some, somebody's got to say something. And it's just and, and okay, now I'm going to step back from the the mic uh professionally and just speak uh, on the emotional level as a fan. It's so disappointing not just to watch your team lose a Super Bowl and one that they could have won. But to see that be the bookend. I mentioned bookends for Patricia before with the first and last game of the season being the worst for two worst by the way defensive performances in Belichick's coaching career as well. Right. It's a real bummer to see that be the finality of like the swan song from Malcolm Butler to just surge into a Super Bowl, win one basically. I think that's why Brady liked his Instagram, by the way. Like, right. I know I gave you the car, but also thanks. You know I've got a ring because of you. But to also then just um, just get like have made to stand there and way. watch. Yeah. Oh, what a bummer! But I mean, now think about that. We will always think of two Super Bowls when we think of Malcolm Butler. One that he saved, and one that he perhaps. You know, torpedoed, um, inadvertently torpedoed, or that, we're, or we're going to sit back and think could have saved. Yeah, so you don't know. I, I mean, mm. well, it's amazing that that was <laughs> that was that was the game and how that played out. There was right. the Butler side sidebar, and then there was the Josh McDaniel's uh, turnaround. So, speaking of which, just to interrupt you for a second, Ballard just finished his press conference and he walked away from the, his walk-off comment from the podium was the rivalry is back on and well, walked off. That's oh, fair. that's what I'm talking that's about. Fair. Well, you know, but I, I'll say this. You better get a good team going uh, because a rivalry isn't a rivalry unless leave you're competitive. It, leave it to NFL Network as I'm trying to get you guys the sound and their stupid idiot good morning football people are talking over him while he mutters the rivalry is still on. So I, I can't get a clean clip. Good, good for Ballard doing that too. Just because you know it's a game. This is entertainment. And I, quick last update as we uh, wrap things up, Don. Uh, Bruce Feldman tweeted out about a half an hour ago. Uh, speaking of the talent drain or the talent influx coming in or new talent uh, coming into Foxborough, uh, Greg Schiano tells me he's staying at Ohio State. Contrary to reports from Monday, he was leaving for the Patriots. Big day for the Buckeyes. So then uh, Mark Daniels from the Providence Journal writes, looks like Brian Flores might just get the promotion to coordinator after all. So I think the Patriots will keep things intact largely in-house here. And that was as expected, hashtag as expected. Yeah, I agree. I I like that Ballard kind of went with a certain sense of bravado. You know, he he says he wants somebody that's 100% committed and clearly that's you know that's they didn't have that with Josh McDaniels there was some there was some cold feet at some point um that they picked up on and thought that they had cleared um but had not so he says we will get the right leader for the Indianapolis Colts um it's going to be a chicken taking chicken blank and making chicken salad now for the Colts but who knows you know if Frank Reich walks in there and him and Andrew Luck make beautiful music together uh, someday they might look back and say, hey, thank God it, it turned out the way it turned out um, that crazy Tuesday night uh, after the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. i got to say, thank you once again, New England Patriots, not only for an entertaining season uh, and, a, and, and a memorable yet mildly, dis- obviously very disappointing Super Bowl, but also the distractions. So I don't think 
I don't have to think about what in the world is going to go on on that parade route tomorrow in Philly. Uh, it says there's a report that the Colts are expected to request an interview with Frank Reich. Okay, I think we have our leader. There we go. I think we have our leader clubhouse in the clubhouse. Leader. Yeah, D- Dave Tube of the Chiefs might uh, uh, be in there as well because they have a relationship, Ballard and he. Um, but I think if I'm – and I, Bob Kravitz said this. I totally agree. I think that is the easiest sell. An offensive coordinator – Coming off of that Super Bowl, it's like the inverse of the Matt Patricia hire in a way, you know? It'd be the, the alter uh, image uh, in the mirror. Like the losing right. defensive coordinator, the winning offensive coordinator would be those two jobs. Um, so anyway, we uh, programming note, we are going to take at least next week off. We're not going to have a podcast next week. Um, and I think we're going to be back the following week. We will keep you posted on that. But it's been a... Uh, it's been a, a long, eventful season, and uh, we're going to kind of put this to bed. And then when we we come back, we'll be we'll be on to 2018, I think. That's right. We'll be on to 2018. Uh, then we'll, I guarantee we'll have plenty to talk now about. Now the Combine's not that far uh, down the road. I think it starts February 27th or 28th in Indianapolis. A good place, I think, <laughs> suddenly to be, <laughs> because we'll see if there's a new Colts coach by then, by the time we get to the Combine. Uh, and then it's owners' meetings, and it's the draft, and the off season will be in full swing. So, in the, in the interim, maybe uh, catch up on those Netflix series you've been thinking about streaming, read a book, and uh, maybe get to know your family again. That'd be a good idea. We'd like to thank Bob Kravitz for being our guest on the Cover Two podcast today. Um, he was uh, the right man at the right time to talk about a very hot story uh, in Patriots land and in the NFL. So for Don Banks and Nick Stevens, uh, we bid you farewell. And Of course, the great Kevin Collins behind the glass. Kevin Collins behind the glass, behind the green curtain. He had food poisoning late in the week in Minneapolis, but he's back. He's definitely back. Thank you, Kevin. I, I was okay. say, here it comes. Could have done that, without that. That wasn't Kevin. That was me Sunday night about 10, 13. <laughs> It really was, folks. I was, I was, I was near him. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening this season. Thanks for uh, being a part of the Cover Two podcast. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.